So it is uh, what we call Pentecost Sunday, and you see the red, uh, not just decoration, but red symbol of the uh, Holy Spirit. And remember, uh, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to his followers, and on that that day, the, his, the disciples were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and just thinking that the God of the universe would put his spirit in our very bodies is a, is a powerful notion. So um, we're going to be thinking about that today. Uh, we're thinking about the spiritual uh, reality that our human bodies can be God's home, which is it's just an amazing thought. Also thinking about spiritual realities when, um, so the lights are going on and off, and the flickering, and that one was ticking and flickering, and then like the air conditioning went out, and there's been all kinds of. Uh... Anyway, it's been it's been a little nutty this morning, and I would, you know, when the power goes out in your house, you're like, oh, the power went out, it'll come back on. When the power goes halfway out in church on Pentecost Sunday, you're like, is God trying to show us something? And um, what's going on in the spiritual realm? But thank you for your patience, and if it gets warm in here, then we'll just uh, we'll deal with it. But. Um, yeah, we're talking about the human body. How do we understand humanity? How do we understand how God has designed us to live and experience and use our human bodies? So this is, this is a good uh, topic for us now, today. Uh, Christians in our world have become somewhat well-known, maybe famous for the things that we oppose, for things that we are against but I don't think the world really understands what we genuinely believe, what we are for, and what we celebrate. The, that we actually have, it's, it, it's less about what we oppose and more about communicating to our world a deeper and more beautiful and positive view of the human body that God has designed. And that there is um, something so good and beautiful that shapes my worldview that, yes, there are things that cut against that um, that I don't like, but it all starts with a positive biblical understanding of human body and human life. Uh, so, and the other reason this is timely and good is that there are Christians, there's followers of Jesus who don't understand what the Bible says about this. They're, they're confused because there's a lot of um, talk in our culture and there's a lot of voices, but it's not primarily Christian voices that are speaking into that. So the Christian understanding is less prominent in our in the kind of public discourse around these issues, and so uh, we have non-Christians who don't really understand what Christians believe about this, and we have Christians who don't fully understand what Christians believe about this, and so we just want to talk very directly about some of these um, some some of these issues, and some of these are tough issues. They can be hard to talk about because they're very personal. You're talking about your human body. You're talking about your very person, and these are probably the most personal things that we could be talking about. And because of that, some people feel shame around that or they feel guilt around that because of their own experience or because of their struggles or their struggles of their children or grandchildren. Some people become fearful. You know, what if I don't agree with you? Or what, what if um, you, you're going to judge me? Or, um, you know, some people even say, can I even be a Christian if I experience the things I experience or believe the things I believe. and So we, we want to be a church where we can talk openly about these things that we perhaps struggle with or people we love struggle with. Um, that we can, This can be a place where we can even disagree if we need to and, and really wrestle with this because these are complicated issues. So here's a little outline of, of where we're going to go in this over the next five weeks. So today we're going to be talking about uh, the image of God, how God has created humanity in his image, specifically we're going to talk about human gender and sexuality, male and female. So 
Um, so that's, that's probably should have been two, in hindsight, that probably should have been two or three messages, but we'll try to tackle that today in our time. Next week, we're going to talk about pain and suffering that, that um, this human body of mind can break down. And some of the hardest questions of our faith revolve around pain and suffering and tragedy, um, people who suffer physically, people who suffer uh, mental health issues, chronic pain issues, terminal illnesses, all these things. So there's some of the most difficult questions of our faith, understanding God's goodness and understanding human pain and suffering. So that's next week. Uh, Then the third week, we're going to talk about beauty, the beauty of the human body, but also uh, issues of body image and how we see ourselves, um, issues of vanity and and those kind of topics. Uh, The fourth week, we're going to talk about how life begins and talk about Uh, how God forms human life. So we're going to talk about birth and even pre-birth. And uh, we're going to have some friends from the Pregnancy Care Center here with us that day. And then the fifth week, uh, we're going to, the other end of the spectrum, we're going to talk about death. How does a person of faith die well and how do we understand human human death? So those are, as I read through that, that's some pretty heavy topics, right? So that's some, some big issues, but they're important and timely for us. So are you interested? Are you nervous? Because I am a little bit. Because, um, again, these are pers- very personal issues, and these are very kind of hot-button issues, some of these. But I don't speak on, on my own authority. I, I, I look to God's Word and His authority and what God has showed us about humanity. So that's our foundation. Um, I'll also, I want to say as we start, that Dr. Tim Tennant, he was a seminary professor of mine, he wrote a book called For the Body, and that book has shaped my understanding of a lot of these things and shaped how I'm approaching this sermon series. So by way of giving him credit, I want to, uh, his, my language that I'm going to be using a bit will reflect the influence that his book has had on me. So that would, you would hear that if you're familiar with his book. But he actually, um, we consulted with him a number of years ago, and he helped us shape our missions program here at Free Christian Church. And he preached from this pulpit. And so if you've been around for a long time, you may have heard Dr. Tennant preach here. And so he's a friend of our church and, um, again, influence on me and my understanding. But let us pray as we begin. So, Father God, we, in all humility, submit ourselves to you and pray that you would be our teacher. And on this day when we consider uh, the work of your Holy Spirit in us, your people, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us and transform us as we look at your word. So may it be this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to give you three things that we learn about God's design, his specific design for humanity that we see in these, uh, in these uh, brief verses here from the book of Genesis. So the first, uh, the first observation is that God is creator and I am creation. So verse 27 says, God created mankind. Now that's very simple and basic or maybe too simple, but there's huge implications of this, that if God made me, then that means there was some sort of intention, there was some purpose, that means my life, my human life has purpose, it has destiny, therefore my life also has moral capacity, that if I am created by God and designed by him, that there's some sort of purpose that I need to be in tune with or live into, that there is uh, capacity for me to live in accordance with the purpose that God has for me. If we are not created people, 
if we are just accidents of the cosmos and we just by fate have just landed where we are, then your body's your own. You can do whatever you want with it. And in fact, that's a, that's a very common worldview for many Americans. They would say what it means to be human is that I am an autonomous individual and that I will pursue happiness as uninhibited as possible. That I'm, my goal in being a human being is to be free and to be happy. And that's what it means to be human. That's not what the Bible says humanity is. We love freedom. We love happiness. But to be human primarily is to be a creation of God designed for a purpose and therefore bound by that purpose and responsible to God. It also means that we are precious. That we are objects of God's love. We're given his design. We are created to have fellowship with our creator that we can know and experience God in our lives. And when God created humanity, he called, when God created all things, he called it good. And when God created human beings, he said that is very good. And that's our view of what it means to be human, a precious and good, a very good creation. So therefore, the human body is good and it is trustworthy, meaning that it shows us something of God's design, and we can experience that. It shows us something that is real and true. If we deny God's creation of us, things get disordered quickly. Romans chapter 1 in the Bible, and I encourage you to read that, um, but it basically says that when people deny the Creator, even though because there is a creation, it points to that there's a Creator, and that's obvious, but when people deny that, three things happen. One is they start to worship things other than their creator. They start to worship idols or created things, and, and their worship gets disordered. Secondly, their physical bodies become, uh, their physical life gets disordered. They do things that are described as sort of lustful or shameful. Um, and again, the, the third thing that happens is that the mental life gets disordered. The mind uh, goes away from the creator and his design and uh, Becomes, can become evil and full of wickedness and greed and different things as it's described here. Now, again, all human be- beings still, still good, still capable of very good, but the more we separate from God's design, the more we head in that direction. So there is a goodness that we are created beings. That's the first observation. Second observation about God's design is that we are created in, in God's image specifically. Look at verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. We are specifically created in the image and the likeness of God. That means that um, our bodies have the capacity to reflect God. So we are living and embodied representations of who God is. His, specifically here, his rule in his reign. So if God is ultimately supreme and sovereign, then humanity has a certain rule, a certain dominion in this world. And um, you know, God is invisible. You can't see God in that sense, but you can see a reflection of God in us, in humanity. And that is a beautiful part of God's design. That design is specifically male and female, if you look at verse 27. So the image of God is male and female. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. 
He created them. So both male and female are part of God's design and they reflect God. They reflect his image. So in wherever we see this in scripture, we see that these two genders reflect God. And that's God's design. Therefore, gender in scripture is not fluid. It's not a process. And gender is congruent or it's in line with bi- the biological reality of biological sex. Um, the issue is today, in, in, in our cultural view, is that gender and sex have become like two different things. They become very separated where biological sex is sort of this objective biological reality and gender is more of a self-awareness of what it means to be a sexual being and how that's experienced and lived out. And these things have become very disconnected from one another and it can become very confusing. And, And it is confusing because the notion of gender gets lived out culturally in, in different ways in different places. That's true. What I mean by that is what it in different cultures, what it means to live out maleness or femaleness looks different than in other cultures. So gender roles or gender ideals vary over time and from place to place. And people may conform to those ideals or not. And some of those ideals are very good and biblical, and some of those ideals may not be. And, but but in, in our worldview, as God has created humanity, it's the sort of gender roles don't, gender roles can change, but gender doesn't change. Again, it's congruent and in line with, with biological reality. And so the question for us is how do we view transgenderism from a biblical perspective? And I'll answer it in two ways. One is how do we um, view transgender idea, oh, and by that I mean somebody whose experience of gender is not in line with their biological sex. So somebody who has some sort of dysphoria or some kind of disconnect between their experience of gender and their their biological sex. So I want to think about transgender belief and then transgender people, because I would approach that differently. Um, Transgender belief, you know, again, that the normal identity, biological identity markers um, that distinguish male and female is separate f- from gender in that idea. And there's a deep distrust of the human body in, in this idea. That you know, my feeling and my experience of myself is different than, than my physical body. I, my, my physical body is lying to me or I am trapped in the wrong body. My body is deceiving me. Uh, but my heart is trustworthy and, and what I'm experiencing, that's real, but my body is, is something other than that. In the Christian view, it's really just the opposite, that the body is tremendously important, that the body is, is good, that my body tells a good story, and my body can be trusted because God has designed my body. God has, uh, has desires to indwell my body, so therefore there is a goodness to my body. What is not trustworthy is my heart because of sin. That I can't trust my experience and my feelings and my heart, but I can trust my body. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So let me just summarize. 
In transgender ideology, it's I can trust my feelings, but I can't trust my body. In a Christian worldview, it's I can trust my body and I cannot trust my feelings. Can you see how those are opposite beliefs? Those are two very different worldviews. Um, so that's how I would respond to, to the ideology. But how do we respond to tra- transgender people? Because gender dysphoria is a very real thing. And for people who experience it, it can be very distressing and very painful. And I'm learning more about this. I did not understand it. And I've been hearing more stories from people who've experienced this kind of dysphoria. And it is, uh, it's painful. And so our, our posture should not be one to bring guilt or shame, but to bring love and compassion to people who are experiencing pain and difficulty of, of these kind of feelings. So that's our, our posture, our response should be one of love and compassion towards people. However, I do think it is right for us to be troubled by some of the um, relief that is being offered to people who struggle in this way. And I'm talking about you know, different ways of transitioning gender, whether it's through cross-sex hormones or puberty blockers, uh, amputations and surgeries and these kind of things, especially for children. Because children who struggle with this, these things, many of them outgrow it. That's sort of statistically that. And, um, and, and it doesn't, these types of solutions aren't necessarily proven to bring you know, the type of relief. It doesn't always solve the problems that are being experienced by people who struggle in these ways. And so um, it's for, for people who have gone through it, people of faith who struggle in these ways, our family members, who, a number of families that we know uh, who, are, who are struggling with this, um, it's, it's, it's love and compassion because people are hurting. But God's design is that we reflect him, specifically male and female, to reflect the image of God. So we are created beings. We are created in God's image. My third observation that we'll make here is that we are designed by God to be fruitful. We're talking about procreation. So verse 28 says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. So God creates and then his uh, humanity created in his image procreate. That that's a beautiful part of God's design, that two human beings can come together and create another independent human being. And if you've ever held a newborn baby, you know that this is an absolute miracle of God's design. To see those tiny little hands fully formed, a human hand with five fingers that can grasp and move, and the tiny feet, and the whole body there, uh, as an independent being that two people have, have joined together to make, and it's a beautiful thing that we celebrate. A miracle of God's design. But sexual differentiation is necessary for that to happen. And when we, when we lose sight of that, we're losing sight of God's design. So when, when God created the man, God creates Adam, in Genesis chapter 2, it says that there was no suitable helper found for Adam. So there wasn't a companion for Adam. And not just for companionship or friendship, but a suitable partner um, for intimacy and fruitfulness. So the word suitable that the Bible uses there is sort of a compound word. It means 
The first part of the compound is like or as, and the second part of the compound is opposite or against. So there wasn't, God needed to create someone who was like Adam, but opposite from Adam. So like the man, but different than the man, and God creates woman so that the two can come together and be unified and create life. And this is a reflection of God. And all throughout Scripture, the, the union of a man and a woman in marriage is a ref, is shown as a reflection of God's love for his people, of the union of Jesus Christ and his church. And we see that again and again in Ephesians chapter 5 and in many places that describe this reflection of God in that. And this is what human bodies are for, and this is good, and this is what we celebrate, and this is what we promote. So we support marriages, and we seek to heal all the sorts of brokenness that people experience in marriage in different ways. Um, but in marriage, men and women are not just interchangeable biological units. You know, it's the complementary of male and female together that point to something greater, points to something good. That's God's design. So that brings up questions. Well, what about, what about a childless marriage? Because not every union of male and female creates children. And that's true, whether it's from infertility or because of age, uh, but the design is still there. See, God's design of fruitfulness is still there even if, it, even if the union doesn't produce children. So well, what about single people? Do they not, do, does their humanity not fully reflect God in, in some sense? Um, actually, singleness points, reflects God in a, in a different way. Well, first of all, the design for fruitfulness is still present in a non-married person. But it also points to sort of the end of time. God's design that there is no marriage or given in marriage at the end of time. Jesus taught that. Uh, he, sorry, the lights just, I don't know if you can see that happening. So um, at the end of time, there's, we are united directly with Christ. And so we don't need marriage in the same way as a reflection of that. We live the ultimate um, fellowship. And single people reflect that in their lives today. They point to that, be, that beautiful thing. So, uh, and then scripture calls singleness a, a gift and a calling. And there's a, there's a beauty to it. There's actually advantage to it, as we see in scripture. Uh, but we do celebrate uh, marriage between men and women. So the question then is, well, what about same-sex couples or same-sex marriage? Because that does not reflect this procreative uh, design in the same way. Uh, because sexual differentiation is necessary and we move away from that, we're moving away from God's design. Um, now, of course, same-sex couples can adopt, or they can, there's insemination, or um, surrogacy, or other ways of creating you know, generations of family that could be done. But they all rely on heterosexual union. They all rely on gender differentiation to produce that life. Um, so... A same-sex marriage relies on heterosexuality to create family um, because God's design is a male-female union for procreation. That's why we support and celebrate marriage. So our three observations that God creates humanity, it's created in his image, male and female, and it's created for fruitfulness. That's part of his design. So what do we do with this? Two things. One is you honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. Look at this verse from 1 Corinthians 6. Still over here, not over there. 
Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What this means is that, um, is that when you, sexual sin is uniquely damaging because it goes against God's design for the human body to reflect him. And so my challenge is let's work together on this to get this right because this isn't the world's problem. Oh, the world out there gets it wrong and we as people of faith get it right. No, we get it wrong too and we struggle and we want to walk together as, as we are experiencing the sanctifying work of God in our lives, the, the, the cleansing and healing work in our lives. And some people say, no, this is too personal to talk about. It's, it's too painful. I say, no, we need to walk together. There are Christian people who experience same-sex attraction. There are Christian people who experience gender dysphoria. There are Christian people who experience all kinds of, of these things and we, who want to honor God with their body. We all want to be people who honor God with our body. The, the second thing that we do with this is we want to love people that we disagree with. We, have, we don't share a moral framework with our neighbors necessarily, with our culture around us. We shouldn't be shocked by that. I don't know some people are sad and say, look at our culture and where things are drifting and it feels like something is slipping away. But remember that the, the kingdom of God and the Christian faith has spread beautifully in places where people don't live by Christian morals and Christian values. In fact, into those kind of cultures, the beauty of God's design speaks all the louder. So as we interact with people who disagree with us on these issues, we do so with humility and respect, but we speak truth. Remember that all people, even people we disagree with, are made in the image of God. They are precious human beings in the image of God. They are creations of God. And we all fall short, and we all need Jesus. That's why we approach everybody with love and compassion, and we do not hate. And we are against bullying and any kind of violence or uh, hate crime or any kind of shaming against people. We need to point people to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. People with same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria need to know Jesus' radical and unconditional love. You know who else does? Straight people need to know God's, uh, God's radical and unconditional love through Jesus Christ just as much. We all need it. Jesus is the answer. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.15 says, Christ died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. When, if, apart from understanding being a created being, you know, we just live lives for ourselves and we live, to, for, again, for our own freedom and our own happiness. But when you realize Christ died for you and that he bought, he purchased you with his blood to forgive you and to give you new life and to transform us, then we can truly live for him, not just for ourselves. We can, we can receive healing and newness that we can live out our lives in the body that God gave us you know, being restored to his design in his goodness. Christ is the answer. Let us pray. Father, I pray that we would be people who acknowledge that you have created us in your image and that we would reflect that image beautifully to our world. And Lord, we fall short and we struggle and we, we experience um, the, the pain and the confusion from that, but you are a God who heals and you are a God who restores that image in us, Lord. And I just pray that we would uh, 
we would do that. And that we would love others and point them to that, sta- that, that same restoring power that only you can bring, Lord. We thank you that you are that good to design us that way and you are that good to restore us in that direction. And may you be glorified in this. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.